The following message is presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Now the message. Well, I got a confession to make. I think Luke might be wearing off on me a little bit. When I went to this passage of scripture, uh, first thing I thought of was a dad joke. So, uh, and I've got plenty of them. I've heard them all my whole life and I've told plenty of them myself. But, uh, this is one I think that you may have heard. How long did Cain hate his brother? Anybody know the answer to that one? How long did Cain from the Bible hate his brother? As long as he was able. We're talking about siblings in scripture today. We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. And, uh, it's a topic that's, that we are, uh, probably fairly sensitive to. We, you probably have siblings in your life for sure. You may have siblings yourself or your children you have, may have multiple children. And you see that there are very distinct differences in how they behave and act and develop their values and uh, why they may uh, get along sometimes and not get along others. And I've read lots of studies on why there's differences and why uh, there's sibling rivalry and personalities, how they develop, because I, I've been helping disciple students all these years. They come from home, they break away from home, and they're just getting to stand on their own and de- develop their own personalities and uh, individualism and understandings of Scripture and own their faith. So that's one of the things that we walk through. I myself have three younger brothers. I'm the oldest of, of four. And those four brothers, they are all very, very different. They have different values. I'm, uh, I'm, I can just tell you, I'm 58. I have one that's 54, have one that's 46, and one that's 40-something I can't remember. That's how much younger he is than me. He's probably 42. And, uh, and that stretch between us, we have different, uh, different ways of seeing life. Uh, the youngest one is grew up in an environment that was quite a bit different politically and, and socially than I did. I'm very, uh, if you were to cut a cookie cutter, West Texas, uh, 50 to 65 year old in their value systems, that's what I am. I'm one of those. Uh, gonna be always fairly conservative, have a high expectations of work ethic, um, a little bit opinionated, and all, all, all those kind of things, what the things that you might think of that kind of person, I fit that mold. The classic older brother. And then as you go down the list, they all change very distinctively. The youngest one has a lot more fun than I do. Enjoys life a lot more probably, and has very big, uh, opinions about things. Last week, we were in a text group. We get along real well, uh, but we live all over the country, so our relationship mostly texts. And we uh, get into these long series of texts occasionally uh, where we'll write maybe um, one of us will throw out a limerick and write this limerick about our family or home or, or fishing or whatever it might be. And the next one will try to top it. And then the, the next one will try to top that. And it'll go on for a, a, a quite a ways. And uh, it's, it's a little bit of a competition. But this week I sent them a video of a poem or a song, it's actually a song that our granddaughter listens to now on YouTube, and we all agreed that we like it a lot. Let me tell you what the, uh, the name of this this uh, song is. It's called The Wonky Donkey. Anybody ever hear the song The Wonky Donkey? Or even read the book The Wonky Donkey? I just want to read you one paragraph from this donkey. Um, 
this, this goes like this. I was walking down the road and I saw a donkey and he only had three legs. By the way, that's why he's wonky. Uh, he has one eye and he liked to listen to country music and he was quite tall and slim and he smelled really bad. That's a description of that donkey. Does anybody know what the rest of that, that verse is? What kind of donkey was he? He was a stinky, dinky, lanky, honky-tonky, winky-wonky donkey. Stinky, dinky, lanky, honky-tonky, winky-wonky donkey. That's the kind of donkey he was. I have a brother that's a, a country, I believe he's a country singer. He actually made uh, the, the charts in Europe. He didn't make it here. But he, uh, he uh, does fairs and festivals and things like that. And we can't have a gathering. By the way, he's a middle child. Uh, we can't have a gathering without him going to the truck and pulling his guitar in and starting to play and singing songs and kind of disrupts everything that happens. By the way, I hope he's not watching this Facebook page because I'm talking bad about him right now. He, he, he wants to kind of get the center of attention. So he plays, plays his guitar and he is very talented. He does a good job with all that. So I, in this text stream we had last week, I said, Lily, our granddaughter, really loves this song, and she would like it if all you got her for Christmas was to play the uh, the wonky donkey song for her uh, at Thanksgiving and Christmas this year. And he said, I'll do that if you'll sing it. So I both don't sing and don't memorize very well. So I'm not going to be singing the wonky donkey at Christmas this year. I want to, uh, to check with you just real quick and see how many in this room we have that are the older sibling among your brothers and sisters. How many have we got? All right, we got good percentage. How about the middle child, one of the middle children? Okay, there you go. And the youngest. All right, youngest are spoiled, by the way. I mean, I'm sorry. That's a, that's a lie. Okay, we're going to get to that in a minute. All right, how many are only children? All right, all of them have distinct differences, and this is from the studies that have come out. So you tell me if this fits you, older Older children in the family, go-getters, responsible, role models, determined, rule follower, hard worker, cautious. Does that all fit? Does that fits older children in the room? You're kind of the responsible one. You're a second-level parent to the rest of them, rest of the kids. You kind of take care of them. You follow, you follow the rules because you know if you follow the rules, things are going to turn out okay for you. But here's a couple of them that uh, I try not to admit this is true, but this is absolutely true in our family. I'm the oldest child, and my daughter, the oldest daughter, fits this. They're bossy. Oldest children are bossy. Is that, is that true in your family? It's true. It's probably true. Because you had to be. You had to take care of business. All right, now let's look at these middle children. I have an employee that's a middle child, and I bet I don't have any long conversation with him when he doesn't bring up being a middle child, fill in the blank. He's a peacemaker. He makes he try he tries to make peace between other people. He set he wants to settle the room. He wants people to, uh, the, everything to be under control. It says that they are adaptable, a social butterfly, dreamer, generous, creative, rebellious, competitive, funny, and a great negotiator. All you middle middle children in the room, does that fit you? Middle kids, does that fit? Some of it probably fits. This is a little bit like a horoscope when they make up this list of things and one out of the list fits you. So they might want you to think the whole thing does. Youngest children. 
Now, I know this one's true in our family, risk taker. Our youngest was always swinging from something, from a, a rope somewhere, a tree somewhere, into a lake somewhere, uh, riding his bike where he shouldn't be riding. He would come home from riding his mountain bike with the back tire folded in half because he did something he shouldn't be doing. Um, risk taker, outgoing, dependent, persistent, entertainer, fun-loving, charming, easygoing. Boy, y'all got it good, young people. Free-spirited. Is that true for the youngest? What's that? Right on. Oh, I forgot to list, mention the last one. Spoiled. Right on. Okay. And then this particular study says that uh, only children, they have a really good list, by the way. They're mature, loyal, independent, confident, and leaders. Uh, only children maybe get a little more invested time. They say that uh, the reason that there is sibling rivalry is subconsciously or maybe even consciously that there is a competition between children. We all know there's competition for parents' attention, parents' uh, love and their investment in them, but also a competition for resources in the family. They may want more resources than the other one's getting. That might be food. I um, We grew up in a family that we would eat no matter how Big the family got, we still ate one chicken. And that's when chicken didn't come cut up. You didn't get it in individual pieces. The chicken had to be cut up. And by the time our family had gotten big, there were some creative cuts of chicken on that fried chicken plate. And we got down to the last piece. It was a little bit of competition to get that last piece. I know you've heard the story of Jerry Clower talking about the fork in the back of a hand now, if someone, when the lights went out, trying to get that piece of chicken. There's competition for resources among children, and that causes that. So with that, we have that perspective. Just in our culture alone, we have a perspective that there is going to be some conflict and some differences in younger and older siblings. And we get to Luke 15, we're looking at two prodigal sons. Now, we see that, we have been taught that because of tradition and and maybe the headings in a Bible, that there's one prodigal son, and that prodigal son is the one that took the inheritance and went away and was spent that money. We know that prodigal itself means to spend extravagantly to the point of losing it all, pilfering it all away. So here we have these two sons that are distinctly different in the family. The classic older brother, the responsible one, the one that's staying home, the one that's taking care of business, that is keeping the farm in, in order, the one that is, is uh, making sure that all the details are covered every day. That is the older brother. And then you have this younger brother that is fun-loving, that wants to get out and live a life that's self-indulgent. Now, this passage from Jesus, he is teaching us that, this, that these two boys are both prodigals. It's hard for us as people. We're probably a lot like the older brother. If you're a member of a church and you've been a member of a church for a long, long time, you have taken on responsibility because somebody had to do it. Somebody needs to do it. It's instinctive. I've been in church for 40 years now. It's instinctive of me to stand up to pick up plates on a table at any meal and take people's plates to the trash for them because that's what we do. 
We're servants. We're supposed to take care of business. Somebody needs to clean that up. It's instinctive to wipe tables down. It's instinctive to make sure the bulletins are put out. Bulletins are put out. There's somebody here every week that walks around and checks every door in this building and locks it up. And you need them. You need them. They're responsible people. Now, Jesus is speaking to the Pharisees, who they've taken on that responsibility to such an extent that their responsibility is now their religion. It's not a relationship with the Father that they're seeking. It's rightness, because that rightness gives them the authority to earn their way into God's good graces and ultimately into heaven. So by being uh, rule uh, keepers to such an extent that it rules their life, they are uh, trying to earn heaven without the relationship with Jesus. It gives us two kind of people in the world. You see these people all the time. These people who live with, uh, it's, it's selfish abandon. They're, they're seekers. They are um, inner experience uh folks. They want to have experiences all the time. And because of that, they stray away from God. This is one of those days I wish I had a, um, uh, had my mic on. I forgot to put the walk around mic. So y'all just pretend I'm walking around when I point to the one side of the room. On this side of the room, you have the thrill seekers, the people that want to serve themselves and find things. They want to experiment. And on this room over, side of the room over here, you have the rule keepers, the people that are trying to do the, the right things. And both of them, can they, they carry on their journey in life, they carry baggage. So over here you have a nice suitcase. It's probably hard-sided, and uh, everything in that suitcase is organized and, and, uh, and maybe even possibly vacuum-sealed so that it'll pack down tighter and, and be cleaner when you, when you take it. By the way, I tried that one time on my... Uh, Travels around the world, I vacuum sealed my clothes so they would stack better into a suitcase and I would travel easier. You know what that does? That gives you about 10 packages of really wrinkled clothes. Doesn't work. And also your suitcase weighs too much. You gotta pay a little extra. Over here you got a man living out of a trash bag. His, his luggage and I see these kids coming to college all the time. Some come uh, packed like this, and their dorm rooms all match, and their uh, their curtains match their rug, match their their towels, match their bedspread, and even matches the sheets, even matches the dust ruffle on the bed. It all is together. And over here you got the guy that comes to college, and everything he owns is in a black trash bag, and he might have a little white trash bag alongside it to carry the little stuff. That's the two kinds of people we got here. Both of them are carrying baggage. And the baggage of this, this week we're talking about the older brother. The baggage is they are living a life that they feel like they can alienate themselves from needing Jesus because they're doing it all on their own. These people are turning their back and ignoring that there is a savior that a relationship you can have with the father and all along living this life with their back turned with the, to, to what is reality spiritually behind them, these are turning their back on God and saying, I could do it all on my own. I can live a way that if I live right, if I do the right things, I know that I'm going to uh, earn heaven. I can do that. That's what these people think. So you see the two, this dichotomy of two different kinds of folks, both in rebellion. Both are prodigal. 
Now we get to the scripture. Luke 15, verse 22. But the father said to his servants, quick, bring the robe, the best robe. (coughs) We talked about this last week. That would be the father's robe. And put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. And bring the fattened calf and kill it. And by the way, we didn't discuss this very much last week. But the the fattened calf would be a very rare uh, expression of celebration. Now, I, I... there's, I had someone ask me this week, I was with a seminary president meeting, and we went from seminary stuff to hunting and got to hunting. And he wanted to know how to, because uh, I've been hunting a long time, and been, I've guided people and all that kind of stuff. And um, he, he wanted to know how to make his sausage a little more edible, because his, his sausage had, had no fat in it. He made venison sausage with no fat. You know what that makes? That makes crumble. A sausage crumble. Hardly, it's pretty hard to eat. But boy, when you put the fat in it, besides killing you, it tastes great. The more fat, the better, it seems like. And I, I, I like about an 80-20 myself, and that's a lot of fat, but it's also edible. And it's cookable and usable. So uh, he, we, we discussed that. Now, this, this animal would have been a rare animal. This fattened calf would have been one that's kept for celebrations only. So a, a rare, expensive, um, just an unusual ex- experience for the family to bring out this calf. And most meals wouldn't even have had meat. But they, it was a big celebration. Uh, we were members of churches for, for a church for a long time that had fifth Sunday meals. Every fifth Sunday we had a meal. And it was not a little meal. It's when people who didn't come to church came to church. They wanted to be there because it was spectacular and uh the, the we ate pork because i guess pork was cheaper but it also tastes great but then we had this spectacular meal with a long layout everyone to be everybody wanted to be a part of it when i pictured this festival meal that's kind of what i picture this incredible experience of gathering together in celebration so the fatted calf was there they killed it they had a feast to celebrate and the son of mine he says for the son of mine was dead and is alive again he was lost and he is found, so they began to celebrate. This guy with the garbage bag luggage over here has come home. He's left his laundry for somebody to do, and they are glad he's there and they're celebrating because he was lost and now he's found. Verse 25, this could be some of the rest of us. Meanwhile, the older son was working. He came home to party. Older son was out in the field and he was working. He's in the, and when he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fatted calf because he has, has him back safe and sound. And the instant response of this older brother is not celebration that the younger brother has come home because remember this older brother that's over here has his back to his father because he's trying to earn it all on his own. He's not trying to, he's not in relationship with the father. He's not in relationship with the family. He is trying to earn it and deserve it and win it. It's all about him and how he can get it. So he sees this disruption of his plan that he's laid out for his life. Not only his uh, uh, direct attention from the father, but also the money. The money of the family that was going to be his is now going to be divided again three ways. So his money is now at stake and his 
attention is now at stake. His position is at stake. And he's not happy about it. <coughs> Verse 28, the older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father. Now, look at the disrespect of this. In our culture, this would be disrespectful. But in this Eastern culture where the father was was uh, the patriarch of the family that, that should be revered and respected and listened to, and he said, look, look, look what you've done. He didn't say, sir. He didn't say, uh, honorable father. He didn't say any of that. He instantly went to a, an indignant position and said, look at you, what you have done all these years. I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed orders. You, you've never get, even got me a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes comes home. You kill the fatted calf for him. He can't believe it's happening. He can't believe this undeserving child has been welcomed back. My son, the father said, you're always with me and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and he's alive again and he was lost and is found. You can alienate yourself from the father by being bad. You can also alienate your father from being too self-righteous, trying to be too good in your own flesh. Both are ways of avoiding Jesus. This older brother, here's some false beliefs, by the way. False beliefs of the older brother, and I want us to uh, see if we can identify with any of this. Maybe first I should talk about who these people are in the church. These are the people that live lives that we are disgusted by. And you're disgusted by a lot of things. You can be disgusted by little things, and they may be real things. They may be lives, they may, may be so strung out on drugs, you can't believe somebody would make a choice like that. They may be child abusers, they may be, be uh, homosexuals, they might be... It could be a long list of people that we see from our culture as the older brother possibly fair sadly, that these people are unworthy of the love of God. You know some people like that? I looked at the, uh, the demographic breakdown of Sabine Parish this week, and the demographic breakdown says we got this bunch of people that are doing pretty good, and we got a whole bunch of them that are not. I sanitized that a little bit. So this is the whole bunch of people that are not doing very good in life. This is what I'm talking about. If we are pharisaical and we're people that are living in a way that uh, we think our rightness lifts up us above them in deserving God's love, then we're going to look at that bunch of people uh, with disdain, like the older brother. And here's what those false faith folks believe. They believe that obedience, if you live a good life, you should get a good life in return. That seems reasonable. If we live right, we should get what we deserve. That's what pharisaical belief is. What's the answer to that? Rain falls on the just and the unjust, doesn't it? Scripture teaches that pretty clearly, that people have troubles no matter how good you have acted in life. Bad things happen to you in life. 
And if we live completely wrapped up in this, and I want to skip on my little outline and just get out of order just for a second. When we live like we think a good life should give us a good life, what happens when something turns bad is we get bitter. Why did this happen to me? Uh, I'm in a, in a group of ministers that we talk a lot, and, and things don't always happen right for us. They don't. They should. They should. We should be getting the good stuff. They don't always happen right. It doesn't always work out. Your kids don't always act the way you want them to act, and your, your finances don't always uh, spend as far as you hope they would spend. And sometimes, sometimes tornadoes hit and hurricanes. Things happen. And if we think that our goodness got us there, we're going to get bitter at God because it didn't get us there. We think he should have given it to us because we obeyed. Second thing happens to a faith, a faith, false faith person is, if I live a good life, God will show me extra favor and I will earn a place in heaven. Now we've talked that, that a long time as Baptists. We've figured that one out. Because it's by grace we are saved, right? Not by works. We live by that mantra. We know that scripture is true. Here's another one. If we live a good life, others will respect me. Not always true. You live a good life, you're doing things right, there's going to be people that are jealous of you living a good life. They think you think you're better than them, so they disdain you, they uh, don't respect you, the position you might have earned in life because that's, they have no value in that. They don't have what you have. There's another one, if, uh, a false faith. If I live a good life, I have the right to pass judgment on those that don't. Ever been in that step, that, that seat before? I ate at a restaurant, and um, I, I struggle with this side, by the way. I've, lived, I've been a believer 40 years. I want people, I'm an older child. I want people to act right. I want, I mean, it's not that hard. Act right. I'm in a restaurant yesterday and people walk in and clothes that I wouldn't wear to the beach. And they've got, and they, I'm thinking, what are you doing? What are you dressing like that for? It's because for just a little while I was over here as a Pharisee judging these people. People who do right think that they have the right to judge those. People who, here's the, here's the most dangerous one. Saying to yourself, if I live a good life, I have no need for a Savior. There are people who think that. I'm living good enough. I don't need any help. Here's what I found with people who live good lives. They live a good life outwardly, but inwardly they are racked they're wrapped up with, they're riddled by insecurity. You know, I'm trying to do all the right things, but on the inside, I just don't think I'm quite getting it done. So they hide under behind a facade of self-righteousness, and on the inside is weakness. There's these consequences to being having this false obedience, and I told you one earlier is bitterness. The next one is... Self-righteousness sets up a fertile environment for elitism and racism. If we do things well, we set ourselves up to be elitist and ultimately racist. Now, when I say racist in the South, I mean, people go to one 
way of thinking what racism is. That's not what I'm talking about. This is worldwide. You could be in any country in the world. You could be in any culture in the world. And there is racism. Mine is better. It's just another form of elitism. I am better because I'm part of this group. You know, I, um, I'm ashamed to say I'm a part of this ex- exclusive group that used to think, now they know better, used to think that they're better than everyone else. Uh, I'm a lifelong Dallas Cowboy fan. And we know they're not that good. They might win a few games. They're not going to win at all. But that's a group of elitism because they kind of set themselves up better than everyone else. Used to be one of them. Self-righteousness sets up elitism. And here's a side note. For those of us that are elitist, um, we're quick to forgive sins and other people when their sins look like our sins. I can forgive somebody who does this because and I can understand that because I, I struggle with that a little bit myself. I'll forgive you. But people who struggle in areas that we don't struggle in at all, these garbage bag luggage people over here, we don't forgive them quite as quickly. And we set ourselves up to be a older brother, to be the Pharisee. You know, Jesus wasn't just preaching to the lost of the world that could come back to him in this message. He was preaching primarily to the Pharisee that thought that they were above him and didn't need him. They were prodigal. And their extravagance of expense was on self-righteousness. They spent everything they had on their self-righteousness. Reading with, reading through Luke 15, you may have this happen in your life when you read scripture. It's like a magnet. Another part of scripture just pulls you right to it that supports this. I have this happen all the time when I read through the Psalms. I read something in Psalms that's been quoted somewhere else in scripture or really in Christmas time. I can't help at Christmas but to preach out of Isaiah because it just draws me back to Isaiah. What happens when I look at the prodigal is Ephesians. In Ephesians 2, I want us to read this to you, starting with verse 1. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sin. You know who was dead in transgressions and sin? The garbage bag and the shrink-wrapped luggage people both. They're both dead in sin without the Lord. You were dead in your transgressions and sin in which you used to live when you followed the ways of the world and the ruler of the kingdom of the air, which is the devil, and and the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. All of us have lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of the flesh. So what, what he is saying in this passage is, is we are all garbage bag people. All of us are. All carrying around our baggage in a black and a a black trash bag and following its desires and thoughts like the rest we were by nature deserving of wrath pharisees deserving of wrath rebellious ones deserving of wrath but because of his great love for us god who is rich in mercy and his mercy is big enough by the way to cover both groups god's mercy covers the oldest child the middle child the youngest child and the only child 
His mercy covers all of us. He made us alive in Christ. Even when we were dead in our transgressions, it's by grace you've been saved. <clears throat> and God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming of ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace. Do you know Paul writing this passage of scripture had to be thinking of this father's restoration of the lost son with the robe and the fatted calf. You know, you know that he's comparing this sitting at the right, this, this, this relationship with God that's been given to us by forgiveness of sins. And we were dead in our transgressions, but we're now saved. We're living we're sitting in the heavenly realms with Christ Jesus. Verse seven of Ephesians two. In order that in the coming ages he might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It's the gift of God. And it's not by works so that you can boast. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So, these people and these people are the same, and they both need the grace of Jesus. And there are people we run into often that are living really good that don't know Jesus. And they might be exemplary in their character and their personality and how they relate to other people, but they don't know Jesus. Wednesday, I got a call from one of my staff members on one of my campus, and he said this, you won't believe what happened. We had our first, our first worship service last night. The, the speaker presented the gospel, and it was very clear and understandable. And my main young man in the ministry that had been leading, that was leading this, this certain big aspect of the ministry, came to came to, to his thoughts and his mind and his, came to his senses, uh, like the prodigal son, came to his senses and realized that he had never met Jesus. And he was just living out religion. And so one of my main leaders made a profession of faith at our first service. And he's being baptized right now. Right now he's being baptized in a church in, in his town that their college is in. He was living duty, trying to do it on his own. Five kids at another campus, uh, they shared the gospel and, and uh, gave an invitation. And five kids came forward that were living out of black trash bags. They were way, way, way away from God. And the Lord loves them both the same. His mercy is... The same for both. Who do you know in one of these camps? Do you know somebody in your life that's living recklessly away from God? Or one that's just trying to do all the good stuff on their own and both don't know God? Do you know someone? Are you one of those? If this is broadcast on the radio 
and possibly on Facebook. If this is broadcast out, I promise you there's someone in both of those camps hearing the gospel right now. And I pray that they come to the end of themselves. They come to reality. They come to an understanding that they need Jesus. And he's there. Last night, driving home from New Orleans, I always, anytime I'm coming through Baton Rouge, I stop at LSU. I stop and I um, go to the ministry on campus, might get a snack and come on the rest of the way. And our campus ministry yesterday was was doing um, outreach to freshman families. Uh, the parents were in town for some reason. One of the one of the ministries on campus has a building. One of the churches has a building there. And I saw it from a long way off. There was a big purple door. Somebody took a door off a house and painted it purple and put it on the lawn. And then behind that one was a gold, and there was a green, and there was a red. I think they started off with the Mardi Gras colors. And they ran out of Mardi Gras colors, and they started other colors in the sentence. And every door had a big word written on it. And it, it basically said something like this. The doors to heaven are always open to everyone. Now, why they, were, they might have been saying that in some pluralistic manner. I don't know what kind of church it was. I didn't stop to look at it. But let me tell you, it's true. The door's open. The invitation is open for all people to come to the Lord. That means all these prodigals that we don't like how they behave. It means all these people over here that think they got it figured out. The door is open to all of them. I would hope that's true about this place. We talked about the creaky door last week or the clunky door in the back. When that door clunks, I hope it's clunking behind somebody that's prodigal. And they're coming to him. And coming to faith. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word and how Jesus speaks to our hearts in this passage and says things that that we need to hear, but also things that pierce. It pierces deep down in us because we have been in these camps. We've been both prodigal and rebellious, and we've been self-righteous. And Lord, we know that no one is saved by works, but they're saved by grace. And I pray that this grace would be extended to people right now in this moment and they would come to faith in you and trust you and they would live in liberty and there would be a celebration of the fatted calf all the time because of people that are coming to you. Lord Jesus, I pray that you would bring salvations here. That people would come to know you. That wicked people would be saved. That good people would be saved. That young people would be saved. Old people would be saved. That older brothers and younger brothers and middle brothers and only children will be saved. And we know that you have the power to do that. Like the father that can bring the rain to stop the fires, you can change a heart. And Lord, we pray, pray that you change the heart of people. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll stand for the time of invitation, I'll be up front if you want to talk about this. Um, you can, I know how uncomfortable it is to come forward for some folks. 
It's uncomfortable because you're laying yourself bare in front of people. And I want to tell you, if you're laying yourself bare and coming up to pray because you're rebellious, you have about 50 people behind you that are just like you. We've all been there. We've all been there. And we all want to celebrate you coming to Jesus. Philetus. The preceding message was presented by First Baptist Church in Manny, Louisiana. For more information about a relationship with Jesus Christ or about the church, including contact information, go to the website www.fbcmany.org. Thank you for listening and may God bless you.